X-ray. The early months of the Trump administration have not been friendly to science. He's proposed significant cuts of scientific research to dismiss scientific expertise at every opportunity as executive orders have declared climate change a non-issue. Many Americans are not falling in line. On April 22nd, Portland's March for Science will walk through downtown to resist Trump's actions against the sciences. Jackie Wirtz helping to organize the march here with us now. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning. How are you? I am well. Tell us about the march. The march is going to be a celebration of science, and I am really excited to be part of this truly grassroots effort to bring scientific awareness, appreciation for facts, the belief in critical thinking, and making sure that people understand that science is vital to our community, it informs our policy, and it improves our lives as all Argonians. And we really want on April 22nd for everyone to come out and really have a great time making a strong statement in support of science. What kind of cool science stuff is going to happen at the march? Oh, um, kinetic sand that you can make yourself. And we're going to... uh, Kinetic sand is a children's toy that is Um, takes a really interesting approach towards uh, uh, buildable sand. It has different properties, so it doesn't crumble and fall apart in quite the same way. It's just really fun to play with. Okay, other than kinetic sand, what do we? What cool <laughs> science stuff are going to do? Well, you blow anything up? Um, does science just mean military? What other science stuff is going to be cool? Other scientists, other science stuff that is cool is literally everything around you. Science is way more than just blowing stuff up, and it's way <laughs> it more than um, just kinetic sand. Uh, we're going to actually it includes have. Dry Dropping apples. It include dropping apples, mm-hmm. and uh, that story about the apple hitting. And, uh, it's not true. It's no. It's it, there's some uh, basis for truth in it, but it's just really interesting how the story behind that is what people know about science, right? What we're trying to do is we're trying and to, blowing stuff up. And they blowing know stuff about up. that and blowing stuff up. We're trying to make people understand more about the stories of science because they are multitude. They are fun. They are engaging. They're amazing. I saw hidden figures. Hidden figures was pretty awesome. What other stories about science do we need to know? Well, first of all, we need to store no the story about our Earth. One thing that we're really passionate about is observing the changes in climate change policy. How many days was it built in and why do you want to go to hell? Well, I'm going to go to hell for a variety of reasons, but the number of days the Earth was built in is something that I will leave to the uh, geo experts. Uh, But it's far, far, far older than many people believe. How... uh uh, how many people are against science? Who's against science? Who are you marching against in your march for science? It's not marching against somebody. It is marching for the ideals of science. What are the ideals of science? The ideals of science are believing in facts, believing in, in critical thinking, believing in evidence-based policy. My colleague Amanda just stepped in, and she Amanda, thanks for just stepping in. <laughs> it's good to see you. Thank you. What kind of science stuff do you care about? I care about all kinds of science. I, I feel like science is so important for everything that we do every day. The, the fact that you're listening to this over radio waves is due Radio to waves are science? Yes, they are. Because of science. <laughs> yes. Um, the internet is science. The internet is science. Apps are science. Absolutely. Your phones, the fact that we are... Uh, we live past the age of 30. Um, what about the force in Star Wars? Is the force science or is that magic? You know that movies aren't real, right? That's what we're here to talk about. <laughs> I mean, that's what you say. Um, I wish the Force were uh, were real science. But I appreciate no, you saying were rather than was. Condition contrary to fact requires subjective mood. I just appreciate the grammar. Not that I do it per- perfectly every time. What's the uh, so? Uh, here, here's why I'm interested in this. One of the reasons I'm interested in this subject. Years ago, I, w- I sat through a presentation from a local economist who was talking about some of the things that make Oregon different. And it uh, and it, 
it showed some poll results on states across the country. And one poll was attitudes about interracial marriage. And Oregon was one of the states that had the lowest percentage of people who were opposed to interracial marriage, the highest percentage of people who were in favor of interracial marriage. That doesn't mean we don't have racism in this state, but at least on interracial marriage, we were more comfortable with it than other states of the union. We were like the top three or top five. Uh, Kentucky had a slight majority, I think it was 51%, who were opposed to interracial marriage. This is like 2008, by the way, right? This is not, you know, this is not like the 1950s or 60s. But the other one was the, the other little question that the economist showed to explain what's happening in states in terms of attitudes was the one that was more interesting. Oregon was also one of the top three or five states, might have been number one, on belief in science, on being, or rather, in fa- being in favor of science. All right. Kentucky, again, to pick on that state, but just because it was one he picked on, had a bare majority of people was the state of the union that had the most opposition to science. In fact, they had just over 50% of the people who were opposed to science. Like, not opposed to something on climate change, not opposed to abortion, not opposed to the nuclear bomb, but opposed to what you said was the rational, reasonable analysis of facts, evidence-based conclusions. So there is something at stake. So when you say you're not marching against anybody, I think there are people who are kind of marching against you, if only quietly or on Twitter. That is definitely the case. I mean, there are definitely people that are in uh, opposition to to the beliefs that we are supporting. And we're trying to make this as positive an experience as possible, which is why we're not focusing on marching against anybody so much as we are marching for something. We believe that's the best way to make a positive and inclusive impact on the world of science and how science interfaces with the rest of the universe, whether or not they believe in science. And play with kinetic sand. And play with kinetic sand. What other fun stuff, Amanda, is going to happen at the march? Well, we are going to have a number of groups. We're having what we're calling a science expo, which will be um, like around. Like a science fair? Uh, kind of, but um, we'll, we'll have various. I cooked a hot dog on mine with the sun. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did my science fair entry. It was like a little contraption where I would use the sun rays to like, cook a hot dog. Mm-hmm. Not very well. Might right. not have been healthy. Yeah, well, they're pre-cooked, I think. Anyway, um, so I. Uh, Heat. Shall we save mildly warm? <laughs> well, we are going to have uh, probably 30 or 40 different groups. Experts. Egg drops? Um, might have an egg drop, but we will have some human brains, actually, that you will, in addition to the ones that are in people's heads. <laughs> um, I we, hope. Yes, we will have uh, a, a group called Northwest Noggin out of uh, WSU Vancouver, who yeah. will, they're an outreach group that talks about neuroscience with students all over the Pacific Northwest, and they will have human human brains in buckets. Like in jars? Yes. Like whose? Um, people, Einstein's? Uh, NFL unlikely. concussion brains? Uh, unlikely, but possibly. I don't know. The really people, small ones, really big ones? Well, they will have some tiny ones from uh, rats and other animals, but they... Gross. The, yeah, <laughs> pretty awesome, actually. Um, but the, the human brains will be out on a on a table, and if you want to, you can put on some gloves and, and touch and hold the brains and take a picture with Are the jars breakable? Brains. Um, I can just sort of imagine somebody knocking it over. Like if I showed up, oh damn it! And then though there's a brain like rolling down this road. Well, I the the little human, tiny rat brain. <laughs> the human brains are don't in, step in a, on the rat brain. <laughs> 
the human brains are in a uh, in a plastic container, so it, it's less likely to be breakable. The the okay. rat brains might be breakable, or the the containers they're in might be breakable. But but um, we'll we'll watch out for you when we. How, when how we're tough done. is a brain if I step on it or whatever? Um, it's actually the 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 ones that will be there have been preserved in formaldehyde or or other chemicals, and um, but a, an actual human brain in your head, it's pretty soft. I believe it's it's about the the texture of uh, soft butter. Yeah. We're about, yeah, go ahead. We're, what else do we need to know about the march? We're about to do Everything is Interesting quiz led by Karen Kira, and they are going to be in charge of leading that quiz. We want to get to them, but what have I failed to ask about the march? Hmm. I think you have failed to ask why I believe everybody should come to the march. Why should they come? And everybody should come to the march because this is going to be an exciting, fun, engaging, informative, entertaining event. That's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. It is. And it's like not science. just a march. It's science a, is a lot of things. Science is a lot of things. It's going to be a rally where we're going to have inspirational speakers that are going to be touching on politics and climate change and bees and all sorts of different Are there aspects. inspiring science speakers? And if so, who are they? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> cool. Well, just to name one, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Is, is he going to be there? No, unfortunately. <laughs> um, there are inspiring science speakers elsewhere. Right. And also some that we're going to have. Well, yes. Um, we have lots of, of inspiring sp- uh, science speakers here in Portland and uh, in, in the Oregon area. I, I don't know if we're allowed, if we're making an announcement on who we're the not, people are she, yet. She so. shook you off like a catcher. Right, yeah. So she didn't want to say no. We, we do have a number of people who are fantastic and have Nameless, very compelling Nameless, inspiring stories. science speakers. So, yes. There's one of the things right there. You are making the assumption that scientists aren't engaging public speakers, when in fact scientists are wonderful human beings across many different spectrums. Absolutely. Just because we may have a super specific specialty doesn't mean that we can't explain that to people in a really fun way. Very quickly, we're about to wrap. When is the when and where is the march? April 22nd, starting at 10 a.m. in Tom McCall Waterfront Park. April 22nd, what day is that? That's a Saturday. Saturday, is that this coming Saturday? Next Saturday. Not this coming Saturday, the Saturday after that. Correct. So I can, 11 days. Yes. Okay. Tom McCall Waterfront Park, 11 a.m.? 10 a.m. is the rally, 10 11 a.m. is the march. Got it. Okay. And a text in, new rule, people who oppose science can't use the internet to post anti-science diatribes. <laughs> Stay Love tuned it. for Everything is Interesting. This is X-Ray. Welcome to Everything is Interesting. I'm Kira Klingenberg. And hopefully Kira Lindenberg's there, too. I'm here. I'm here. Can you hear me? There you are. She's here. I'm here. Hi, I'm Kira Lindenberg. (laughs) Welcome to Everything is Interesting. Uh, With us again today is our friend Jefferson Smith. Hello. Hi, Jefferson. And also joining us are the organizers for next weekend's March for Science, Amanda Thomas and Jackie Wars. Hi, everybody. Hello. Howdy. Cool. Uh, well, Hi. let's see. Last week, we took on the serious topic of stream conservation. So today, we're going to do something a little bit lighter. We're bringing back our favorite quiz game, Science Fact or Science Fiction. Woo-hoo. This time, it's all about some of our favorite ocean-dwelling creatures, the cephalopoda. 
So for all of you non-nerds out there, that's like the squid, the nautilus, the cuttlefish, and everybody's favorite, the octopus. He's way too popular. The octopus gets all the good rap. Cephalopods are awesome. Yes, thank you. Yeah, they are. I'm so glad. Oh, good. So you're going to totally ace this quiz then. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, too much pressure. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) All right, so let me explain the quiz. Science fact or science fiction goes a little bit like this. We, that's Kira and Kira, will give you a statement, and you will deliberate and decide if that statement is a real science fact or if it's just a bunch of science fiction garbly gook that we sort of just made up in our free time because we have so much free time. Not. (laughs) Uh, And then we will reveal the statement's true nature. Sounds good. Sound good? Fantastic. Okay, cool. Let's play. All right, question number one. Fact or fiction? Octopi is not a word. I feel like I should know that. I believe <laughs> it it is indeed a word. I believe the the plural can be octopi or octopods or octopuses. So yes, I believe it is indeed a word. You guys are good. You guys are good. It's 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 actually not a well. It's it is a word, but it's not the necessarily the most widely accepted version of pluralized octopuses. And this is why many words. By the way, this is grammar, not science. I, we I, but we're yes, going to say it a lot, so we got to set everybody you, up. You can't talk about. You cannot talk about multiple octopuses or podies or whatever until you know what to call them. Right. So many Fair. words in Latin, right, that we use like nuclei or cacti, they add the, the I on the end for pluralization. Mm-hmm. But octopus is actually not a Latin word. It's Greek. And with the proper Greek ending, one Ooh. octopus plus another octopus would actually give you the plural, which you said, octopodes, which is my favorite. Ooh, um, I like that one. Octopodes is the, is the thing we're supposed to say? It's one of them. That sounds yeah, like a Greek w- hero. It yeah, that's like a Greek a god of octopi. Actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's totally what I'm going to be for Halloween. So, but when a foreign language word becomes part of English, we give it an English ending. So most grammar experts agree that octopuses is the preferred way to speak about a group of our cephalopod friends. But I still like octopodes. So, okay, question number two, and here, Jefferson, is some science. Facts or fiction? Everyone knows that the octopus is one of the smartest animals on Earth. Now, that is because its brain is huge, taking up most of the bulbous part of its body that you see. I believe that's false. Its its brain is not most of its body. If if its brain were most of its body, it wouldn't be able to go inside all those little tiny areas it can go into, right? Deduction. Well, the size of the brain has very little to do with actual intelligence because it's how you use it, right? Right. Well, Actually, and, give this woman a prize. <laughs> well, <laughs> it is fictional. Sorry. Oh, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> Amanda, do you think it's fact or fictional? I think it's fictional. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was science. I wonder why you think that. <laughs> so while the octopus's bulbous head-like part may not look, or it does look like it should contain the brain, but this piece is actually the mantle, and that's much like our own torso, except, you know, without all those pesky bones. It expands and contracts for breathing and for jet propulsion, and it holds all of its internal organs. The head of the octopus, which contains the brain, eyes, skull, and mouth, is actually located between the mantle and its arms. Super weird. Well, well, actually, octopuses don't even have one brain. They have what we would consider nine brains. It's like a network of brains. I know, isn't that crazy? So the central one, which is in the head, is... How many of those will be in a jar at the march? Are you going to have any any octopi brains? Do you have octopi brains? Good question. How about like nine nine jars labeled octipodes? 
Yes. No. I don't. I don't think we're we gonna have get any octopus. And maybe a jar. <laughs> maybe a jar with a tiny octopus n- labeled Octopidly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, it's one. It's one centralized brain, which is right behind the eyes, is about the size of a walnut. But then it also has pockets of neurons in each of its arms. It has so, brains in its arms. One of the most amazing things about cephalopods is that they played a key role in the development of neuroscience. The giant squid axon was used to figure out how neurons transmitted signals to each other because the giant squid axon itself is also giant. It's a cell that is large enough to visibly see a single cell and perform experiments on. So Whoa. in the early days of neuroscience, oh. squid were the things. See, this is so cool. Science oh my God, I love this woman. Let's keep her. <laughs> All right, so including... She, by the way, so she's never said that to me once. That we love you? Jefferson, we love you there. No, that, that you wanted to keep me. <laughs> you wanted to keep me. You've always been kind. <laughs> well, learn more things about, you know... Yeah, I know. That's why I'm here. To learn more things. All right, all right. So let's go away from the eight-armed brained octopus and let's do um, a quiz question about the Nautilus, shall we? Fact or fiction? Even though you can only see a tiny portion of it, a Nautilus's body is actually more than 500 feet long, but intricately coiled and distributed through every inch of its very complicated shell. I'm going to say that's false. And a Nautilus, by the way, it's that it, it's got like a shell. The thing you yeah, work out with. Like well, it's, so old, it's like cool. 1980s era fitness equipment. <laughs> well, because I've seen a cross section. Actually, it was just at uh, the California Academy of Sciences this weekend, and I saw a cross section of a Nautilus shell, and there were chambers that were that were sealed off. So I my my guess is oh. that as they grow, the the shell behind them kind of gets sealed off, and uh, and the as the creature gets bigger, it moves into bigger and bigger uh, space. And and we would see the remains, right? I mean, if one was I mean, eventually, if it came out of its shell, if you know, all kinds of things with shells, they lose their shell, and then you see it there, and then you know, it wouldn't. We'd see something. That was Circle of life. Shell. Somebody would yeah. eat it. Yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent deduction, guys. So this is fictional. We made the it Nautilus's, up. <laughs> the Nautilus's shell is actually mostly empty, and it's divided into several stacked chambers, which get logarithmically smaller as you move towards the center of the shell. And these chambers serve as flotation devices. So the, the Nautilus never really lives in these chambers. They just exist so that they can empty and fill them with water or gas. And this changes the Nautilus's buoyancy so it can float at different depths in the ocean. Like a fish bladder, kind of. Another Smart. fun fact is all cephalopods used to have shells. So octopuses, squid, and cuttlefish, it, they all used to have shells. And they lost them to gain speed and dexterity. But the Nautilus didn't. So, in fact, over the last 400 million years or so, the Nautiluses haven't significantly changed at all, at least genetically speaking. So they thought that f- speed was better than armor. I don't know if they thought that, but the, the adaptation. <laughs> but it turned out that it was the case. Many, many, many centuries. They yes, didn't make a decision and say, you know what, this afternoon, I am going to be an octopus instead of a Nautilus. If you can just turn around and think, hey, you know what, I need to have seven more arms, <laughs> I need, well, and I don't need my skeletal system, and poof, Jefferson, you are just blobbling <laughs> on the ground. This, this, I will this, be so impressed. This is an eternal question faced by video gamers everywhere, right? Well, more armor, more speed, and now we know where the cephalopods more have landed. Armor, more speed. And can you crawl through a pipe the size of a quarter? Also important. No. If you're going to lose your skeleton. So this is actually, this is a really cool, you know what? I'm glad we talked about this because I know it doesn't make sense that you should choose your own evolution, but here's your chance to say whether or not that really happens. Because the next question is fact or fiction. Octopuses, squid, and cuttlefish have the unique ability to actively edit their own genes. 
Yes, Ooh. I know this one. I just read it. I saw it on Twitter. They do. I don't know about. I can't speak to the cuttlefish, but I read that it was. I don't remember if it was squid or octopi or octopedities, uh, but it was <laughs> one of those two things that can edit its own genes during its own life. If it wants to, it, it can evaluate itself like a video gamer and figure out what it needs for the next round. I did read that. Amanda, Jackie, what do you think? Define well, edit genes. Yeah. Oh, we're about to. Which is, you, you go up. You go up to. You go up to the upper left control bar and right. you just click down. Yeah. Control C, Control V on the, like on the D. Well, yeah. If you want to use the, that kind of deal. Yeah. I'm guessing that the color, the chromatophores, I think they're called. Wow. I don't know if that is genetic. If you call that genes, but I know that they can change those and, and change colors at will. So I'm gonna guess yes, but I might not be right on the the. Explanation. You guys are you, you're right. Ja- what about yeah. Jack? Oh. oh no no no! I was gonna say everybody yeah. has the ability to change gene expression, and we have remarkable abilities within uh, the way our body signals work. That you can get some kind of stimulus, and within seconds you're going to have a neuronal cascade, and with minutes you're going to have uh, a change in gene expression, and within hours you can have completely different proteins that you're being produced. So um, that is kind of a way of editing what your body is being able to do, and that's something that most organisms, almost all organisms, is do. that what you mean? What well, she said. well, so so we we actually read probably we didn't read it on Twitter, but we read a similar article about this. Um, and the the cephalopod ability to edit their own DNA is helping us learn better about how organisms edit DNA. Period. Like actively do it. Yeah. So so if you think about the way most organisms use the information that's stored in their DNA, we use it to build essential proteins, like you were saying. And there's a key player that's needed to get from DNA to protein. It's a molecule known as RNA. RNA so, is the new black. It is the um, it was the forgotten chemical child of science for a long time. The forgotten but now, child oh, RNA. Absolutely, everybody was all about DNA. <laughs> then everybody was all about proteins, and RNA was just sitting in the back of the bus. But RNA is truly hot technology. The ability to serve as that interface between the code in DNA and the functional molecules in protein. RNA is awesome. You're so really many cool smart, things. Lord. Exactly. 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 Nerdy. And I know that's why that's why we're keeping her. See? <laughs> and, <laughs> so yes, so the RNA is exactly as you just said. It's the translator between the DNA blueprints that explain how to make a protein and the machine-like molecules that actually build the proteins. So, like if you were trying to bake a cake, but all of the cookbooks that you had were in French, RNA would be the French guy who reads the recipe and translate it to English for you. Now, normally, your RNA cook, so to speak, is reliable. It's going to make the same protein every time it reads. The same DNA recipe. But we're what we're discovering is that this is not the case for many of the cephalopods. So octopuses, squids, and cuttlefish have actually adapted a way to actively go in and edit their RNA, which ultimately allows them to control the characteristics of the proteins that get made into their bodies. So using this idea that the RNA is the French guy translating the recipe, cephalopods actively edit their resident French guy by essentially telling him that every time he sees the word eggs in French, he should translate that to them in English as sugar. Only it's not eggs and sugar being swapped. It's, you know, different amino acids because that's the building block of proteins. But when you edit RNA, the DNA recipe stays the same, but the translation is different, and you end up with a very different protein as the end product. And here's the implication of this editing process. So right now, you, a human, sort of have two versions of your, you know, that make up your DNA, one from your mom and one from your dad, which means that you have two possible ways that you can make, say, a pigment protein that gives your eyes their color. But start being able to change how your own RNA translates that DNA into pigment, and suddenly you have exponentially more possible versions of that pigment protein that can be made. So, you know, who needs color contacts now? And this is a really valuable trick, as you said, 
for when you live in like a constantly changing environment. So squid, for example, edit their RNA when the weather changes so that the proteins function properly at different temperatures. And researchers are also finding a lot of these edited proteins inside cephalopods' brains. So that brings up all kinds of questions about like how frighteningly smart they are and why they're so smart. So you're right. RNA is totally the new black. Absolutely. Do we have time for one more question, you think, guys? Yes. All right. I love this one. Fact or (laughs) fiction, an octopus breathes and poops through the same tube. I, I'm, I I don't want to go first. Well, I, I, <laughs> except it's not fair if I go second because you guys have got the answer right. But go ahead. You guys go first. I'm going to say fact. I agree. I think it's true. <laughs> Poop tube is his breathing tube. Well, okay. It is It is fact, but it is not quite as bad as it seems. Well, who said? Okay. <laughs> Do you want to, to breathe that judgment? the same tube? Mm. <laughs> no comment. We learn something about you every day, Jefferson. You ask the octopus how it feels about breathing and pooping out of the same tube. Yeah. All right, so let's explain how this works. So it has one tube that's used for squirting jets of water, breathing out, and expelling waste from the body, you know, pooping. This tube is known as a siphon, and it's actually a characteristic of cephalopods in general. But in case you were worried, the octopus actually breathes in and ta- intakes stuff through gill slits. So it's not actually taking stuff into its body through the same tube that it poops out of. Whew. So it exhales through the same one. Yes, but okay. it doesn't breathe yeah. in through it, because that'd be gross. <laughs> actually less gross than how we do it. So squirting jets of water out of their siphon is how cephalopods like squid and octopuses get around. And by intaking water into their mantle and then shooting it out rapidly through their siphon, they utilize jet propulsion to move. So the force of the water coming out of the siphon is rivaled by the force of the cephalopod's body as it moves in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. It's like a rocket moving away from the rocket blast coming out of its engines. Mm -hmm. Equal but opposing forces. Newton's third law! Do octopi get out of the pool before they poop? (laughs) <laughs> or do they do it? They live in the pool. Oh yeah, the proverbial pool. But their poop probably isn't as gross as ours because yeah, they don't eat all the crap. I, we I eat. don't know. Does anybody know what octopus poop looks like? You know, it it. This is one other thing. Poop is is full of really fascinating things. Just because our body couldn't <laughs> use it this cycle doesn't mean that another organism couldn't find valuable nutrients and uh, bacteria living okay. in our poop. You're really smart, but you're really gross. Oh, <laughs> hey, she's right, though. No, I believe, I believe in conservation ecology. Well, and another fun fact is that uh, sperm whale poop is often full of octopus beaks and, and squid beaks because those Whoa. parts are... Oh, yeah, because the sperm whale fights against the giant squid yeah. in like comic books. Well, and, and in real life. And then uh, the sperm whale will uh, either poop or, or barf that up, and that's what they used to make perfume out but of. But has a squid ever really? barfed up a sperm whale? Probably not. So the sperm whale always wins? No, I, I don't know how that works, actually. Will it be covered at the Science Market? It'll be covered in the yes. next episode of the comic book that you're reading. Yes, nice. exactly. When and where again are the Science March? April 22nd at 10 a.m. is the rally, 11 a.m. is the march, and then there's going to be a science expo the remainder of the afternoon till 3 p.m. at Tom McCall Waterfront Park. And also, Kira and I wanted to mention that our nonprofit science project will also be at the march at the expo. We'll be setting up a booth at the science fair at Waterfront Park, and it should be happening from about 10 a.m. till 3 p.m. Yep, our exhibit will feature fun experiments and activities for all ages, and our theme this time is the ocean. So from the sunlit waters to the mysterious deep. So come check us out and get your hands wet learning about ocean science. Woo! Science. Yay. Go cephalopods. Kira, Thank you Kira, for joining us today, guys. Kira, Kira, Jackie, and Amanda, it was amazing. You're amazing. Science. 
Thank you for having us. You're amazing. Thanks. Yeah, you're amazing. And you are listening to KXRY Portland, 91.1, 107.1 FM, KXRWLP Vancouver at 99.9 FM, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. Radio is yours. In just a minute, we're going to talk about what we learned. Lots. X-Ray.